Hello, this is Richard Wilson of the Family Office Club. Today we're doing an investor mandate interview with Richard from the office. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, Richard. Good to speak with you. So the, the name kind of gave it away a little bit, but what type of investor are you? And I know you wear two different hats in the investor world. You could kind of uh, shine a light on that for a minute. Right. So I have my own family office, and then I'm also the president of which is 35 family offices that meet together. Well, now we don't meet together, we Zoom together, but typically we meet together twice a month to vet investment ideas. Each member makes their own investment decision, but we share the due diligence and evaluation process. Um, and we've been in operation for 11 years, and at that time we've seen, vetted uh, more than 500 managers. Great. Awesome. So let's start on the personal side with um, your own family office. What is the geographical scope, investment type scope, um, you know, size of manager or size of company, et cetera, to kind of narrow it down to what interests you personally um, more than anything else? Well, right now or in general? Um, the best would be to address both in terms of, you know, what you're generally always looking for and then also emphasizing a bit what you're, what you're looking for specifically right now. Cause someone might listen to this two years from now and, you know, um, we all hope we'll be past this by then or starting to get past it by then. So, um, typically we're looking for non-correlated managers, absolute return, um, in niche spaces, um, you know, that used to mean things like convertible arbitrage or bond arbitrage or merger arbitrage, but it has a lot more meaning than that. There are a lot of niche spaces where people um, make money that are not correlated at all to um, the S&P or the NASDAQ, so we're typically looking for that. But now, because we've had, you know, areas of dislocation, um, there's an advantage, we believe, to picking up certain sectors of the market that will perform well given their already existing dislocation. Um, obviously, the market has moved back fast, faster than I would have anticipated. Um, I did think it would move back fast only because the huge amount of capital that was created in the 2008 period is now being enhanced by additional, you know, three to four or five trillion being created now. And that money gets recycled. Right now, it's difficult to find bond spaces that, you know, have a good risk return. Maybe junk comes back, maybe there are defaults. Um, but in the high grade area of the bond market, um, you know, rates could go a little bit lower, but not that much lower. So the wind that's been at our backs in the bond market for really the past decade, where rates have come down from six, seven percent to zero, is pretty much still over. Um, so I think a lot of money is flowing into the equity market, even into speculative parts of the equity market, because there is a huge amount of capital um, that has to be invested. And we've had dislocation in a lot of areas, so it's even forced that tremendous pool of capital into a smaller silo. Right, right, yeah, makes sense. I'm not a uh, stock market expert, but 
um, you know, I've gone into a few things that everyone's just hating, knowing that, uh, you know, three to four years from now, if they correct, it'll be uh, a big, big return, which is, you know, part, part of what you're saying. Those are some battered, battered areas and dislocated areas that should weather things out over time. I, I wonder from the perspective of your group, you know, with the, I think you said 34 or 38 investors in the, in the group, um, is there a general consensus around what's been going on in the stock market? And, you know, no one can predict the future, so I'm definitely not asking you to or pretending like your group can, but it's just interesting to look at the collective intelligence of what you're hearing from your group versus what I'm hearing. And what I've heard is that people are unsure of whether, you know, the recorrection here has been in the market has been kind of quote unquote real or not. And, and some, some think there's a good chance that this is, um, going to be a long period of more of a struggle and that there's going to be another downturn. So a lot of clients have only put 10 or 25% of their market back of their capital back into the market to kind of hedge that if there's a new low, they could go in pretty heavily still. Um, how conservative is, you know, your group overall or any comments that would just be helpful and people just getting the grasp on what sophisticated investors are doing versus just hearing it through journalists and, you know, CNN updates, et cetera. Yeah, I think, are we surprised at how fast the market has come back? As I said, yes and no. Um, somewhat surprised, but not shocked because, again, the capital has to go somewhere. Um, I still think that there's a lot of dislocation that's nowhere near getting sorted out in the real estate market um, and in you know securitized deals related to real estate. Mm -hmm. market um, and in high yield. So there's a number of new, meaning they don't have legacy positions, investment vehicles that have been started to shoot for, say, mid-20s returns in a short period of time, buying back that paper as the recovery comes. That recovery may not come. That recovery may get worse. Um, you know, if you listen to Tom Barrick of Colony Capital, Unless he gets bailed out, America's sinking. So I don't think we've seen the full impact of people not paying their mortgage and people not paying their rent and commercial enterprises not paying their rent and how that's going to worsen the retail and demise of the mall um, era that we've been involved in for the past couple of years. So. It's speculative, and it may not turn out to be the home run they think it is, but we're putting some money in that. And then also, I think banks. Banks got really battered here uh, mm -hmm. on the expectation that there'd be a lot of bad loans, that there'd be a lot of write-offs. But I don't think it's going to be as bad as people think at the bank level. Um, and banks are having a lot of new opportunities to make money. They just made a huge amount of money distributing the government's PPP money, right? right. They made a huge amount of money. The trading profits are going to be off the chart because the spreads are so wide on some of this paper that it's like 1965. You can make money just getting up in the morning and facilitating trading without taking any real risk. And there's right. a lot of volume in, in a lot of markets. So I think banks have a few niche spaces where they can make money. I think M&A will be slow, um, but there will be some M&A in the bank area. Some smaller banks just won't survive this environment. They'll have too many defaults. 
and they don't have other business sectors to even out their earnings. Mm -hmm. So I think it'll be more consolidation in banking and finance. And I think that the bigger banks will be the winners, just like they were in 2008. And they'll come back 50% from where they were yesterday. I mean, they're up today. Um, and I think there's probably money to be made in the real estate area where people are going to default and waiting it out, buying it, and, and coming back. But it is not clear at all to us what the new real estate environment will look like. Will people not want to live in high-rise buildings in New York City because if someone in the building gets the virus, everyone in the building gets the virus? If a worker who comes into the building to service you know, something in the building or to give a massage in the building or whatever has it, does everyone in the building get it? And then it's an unfortunate fact of life for some people, but occasionally you do have to take the subway or the bus in New York City. I'm a lawyer. My office was in Midtown. Taking a cab to downtown could be a, an hour-long process or more. I knew I had to be there. The, the state court is uh, probably 200 feet from the subway, so we took the subway. Um, but will people do that in the future? I don't know. Right. Right, yeah. All good points and a lot of things to think over there. Go ahead. My, my sense is that this may have a bigger impact on long-term um, uh, on, on the long-term decision-making process that people engage in. There was obviously already a migration from New York to Florida um, and from you know, Boston to Florida for mm -hmm. tax purposes. Probably that gets enhanced. Right. Um, obviously, there are condo buildings in Palm Beach, but there's much more single-family housing um, in Palm Beach and Boca, and that's what I think people will want that because you really can avoid other people that way if that's your focus. And right. again, there's some unknowns, you know, as we say, known unknowns. Is the virus going to come back again next year? Right. Is it possible to get it again and have a serious impact? Right. And when will a vaccine come? Will the vaccine be 100% or 95%? Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of known unknowns, and I think the people, the one thing that people have to focus on is that most of the spendable money, most of the excess capital in the consumer market is in the hands of people 65 and older. That's where the wealth is in the United States. Right. And those people aren't spending at the Bernadan and buying Bentleys and traveling to exotic and fancy places and the Caribbean and staying at breakers in Mar-a-Lago, then the economy doesn't function anywhere near where it's been functioning. And my sense is the old people here, the older people here, maybe I'm an old person, so I won't say old people, older people <laughs> sure. um, are not coming out. Mm -hmm. And they truly believe this is a death sentence if they get it. Right. They mean right. Um, none of them want to go on ventilators. Most of them won't go on a ventilator. Um, and so going out to eat and having a 1% chance of getting the virus, probably they'll say no. Right. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that statement, which seems at odds with what, you know, I heard Pence say, oh, yes, yeah, be mostly behind us in June. And I'm thinking, you know, I live with a couple of people and they're their 70s, my in-laws, and, you know, I go anywhere and bring something home, I might accidentally kill off my mother-in-law. So am I really going to risk sending my kids to school in September, like Bill Gates says was realistic just a week or two ago? Or am I really going to want to be hosting workshops and conferences all over the place? I mean, it's interesting questions that your brain's not used to having to digest, I think. And I think investment-wise, some people have been able to gather together a thesis on how to react through groups like yours and and I would hope groups like ours, et cetera, but trying to figure out what's going to be happening this fall or winter, you know, I, I'm just uh, air on the conservative side because of what you just said at the end there about, you know, the p- people with the money not wanting to go out or put their life at risk or anyone that lives with those people and, and has been watching the news or aware of what risks could really come from doing such things. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with Philip. I mean, I really think we're in a little bit of a melt up right now um, because people have, this is what happens. People see the market move up and then they get nervous and they commit money. Um, and I think it, it, in some areas, it, like I take zoom. I mean, the market cap of zoom is insane. There were problems with zoom problems with the privacy model. There were other good competing technologies. There's free Skype, which Rick Stone effectively has used for many years. So 40 plus billion, really? Not possible. Right. Um, right. But, but that shows you that there's still a long tail to speculative investing. Um, you know, biotech, where you can run out of money in two years if you can't raise it, has come back almost completely. Mm-hmm. That would be an area where I thought people would be very nervous because a lot of the companies need to come back to the market. <laughs> Right. Sorry. Two years yeah. later, um, and who knows where the market will be then? Right. Right. Yeah. Good point. Uh, one one thing I've heard um, some rumors of things actually going slightly better in a genuine way is in self storage. Um, one operator I know that has twenty properties said that they had a they've had a thirty percent on average bump year over year from last year to where they are now, but they've been improving their properties. So who knows what percentage that came from their improvements. Um, have you noticed anything like that or any, any other, you know, I'd like to hear your comment on self storage, but any other areas where there's a, a genuine deserved bump in performance, that's not intuitive. Everyone knows things on Amazon are going very well and certain types of healthcare companies, you know, um, are busier than ever, but um, interested in hearing your opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think self-storage is, is okay. Um, it, it was pretty getting frothy there for a while. Um, so I think there is still a lot of capacity out there. I mean, I'm not seeing so many great new businesses that are going to take off because I think they're all high-margin businesses. You know, everything, like we play tennis, then we stop and we get lunch. So that lunch was normally like a 10-minute stop. I buy the lunch for the tennis players. Now it's an hour because the place only allows a certain number of people in. Everyone has to have a mask and gloves. The woman takes your credit card and sprays it and then hands it back to you. Then she cleans her hands off. So all these additional processes, which are not particularly efficient and not routinized, take a tremendous amount of time. There's no such thing as fast food anymore. So... If the economy is going to work like that, then either people are going to make 
you know, lunch in a little brown paper bag like in the like in the seventies and bring it with them, or the system has to change in some way that I can't anticipate. But right. you have speed and efficiency and fear of coronavirus and gloves and masks and and um, pacing people's entrance into a building, they don't work together. Right. So I, I, I see more problems with business models than upside with business models. Right. Um, I don't right. think this really benefits that many people. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, right. a, it's a... Um, it's a bad system. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, I agree. And um, yeah, it's interesting, it's good to hear your opinion there. I know we didn't uh, follow the, the normal expected questions, what we were actually gonna cover on this investor mandate interview. So I just wanna make sure that I give you a chance um, to circle back. Is there any other specific type of investment that you are um, or uh, um, either one, you want to put out there are looking for in addition to what you explained before or one thing you're looking for more than everything else or any other pieces of advice that you wanted to get across during the interview? I think it will be hard to, to not make money in the big banks. They've come off a huge amount. Um, their capital is fine. They're getting as much free money as they possibly can. Steve Mnuchin loves the big banks. He's going to give them free money to distribute free money. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they're getting money for doing, you know, manual labor at the prices that you charge for highly skilled labor. And I don't see that going away. So I think they'll be refinancing when the market comes back. I just think the, the deal firms, the firms that just do deals will get hurt. Both right. the multi-service banks will do fine. And I think private equity will have to shift. There'll be defaults. There'll be bankruptcies in private equity, and there'll be litigation around those bankruptcies because they levered them up seven times, and when did they go bankrupt, and was it a fraudulent conveyance? So that will be a, you know, like the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy was a, obviously a last crisis um, event, but it's still going on. Um, so it survived right. the whole the cycle. Um, and I think we'll have another 10 years or more of litigation around these 7X levered, you know, companies that failed because they couldn't make it in, a, in an environment where you had a, a deep recession and where interest rates weren't zero for them. Because even though it's zero, maybe the government rate, the risk rate now is going to be costly. There's going to be people that are going to have to pay take right. 10, 12% to get money that months ago we're paying three, four percent to get money. Right. I think the private equity business is going to change, and we're already seeing it. They're starting to buy stock pieces in public companies. They're doing what I'm doing. They're saying, you know what? I'm going to do a pipe deal. I'm going to do a convertible preferred deal. They're doing, you know, the Warren Buffett thing with public companies, which wasn't their mandate. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you know, you might not follow Warren closely, but I saw a comment that people have been surprised about how quiet he has been. Who knows if he's negotiating 42 term sheets in the background, which he probably always is, I would guess, even though, you know, um, but some people say, well, he's not going to let big holdings in his portfolio go bankrupt. He'll be the white knight if it comes to that. Other people say, well, that's because he thinks things are going to get worse. 
you know, no one can read his mind. So I'm, I'm sure people are listening to his words pretty carefully right now. Has that come up within your investment group or have you been noticing or, or discussing that with anyone as well or, or not really? And, you know, it sounds like you guys have um, kind of a multifaceted plan moving forward anyway. So you kind of, at some level, who cares what he does, but you're always looking at, looking at people like that just as an input, input point. Um, I don't think we're looking at that as an inflection point. We're definitely seeing pipe deals being done by private equity, mm-hmm. which was what I anticipated them doing. I thought we, you know, last time we spoke, I said private equity is raising too much money. It's, it's, right. it's almost a problem. There's no way that they can put that money to work at the top of the market effectively. And everyone said they can, well, they can't. So <laughs> they're, they're changing their business model. They're, going to buy stakes in public companies, hopefully at a discount, and then get registration rights and sell. So that's going to be, I think that's a trend. Right. Um, but even for them, the markets come back fast. Right. For sure. Yeah. I think much faster than almost anyone anticipated. So I think uh, a good amount got out of the market at a, a decent time or a good time. I know not everyone did. So I'm sorry if you're listening and you did not, but uh a lot of people didn't get back in quick enough to experience some of that, that jump up, which was, um, you know, not, not foreseen by most. So great. I appreciate you um, doing this interview today. Um, Unless you have any other final comments, we can, we can wrap it up. I know we were trying to do a seven minute interview and I kept you on here for, for 20 minutes just because you've got a perspective that a lot of investors that we bring on here don't have with your broader family office group. Uh, Was there anything else you wanted to to fit in before we wrap up? Okay. Great. Well, I appreciate your time here today. If anyone would like to get in touch with Richard or submit a deal through him, they can um, connect with Jennifer on our team or anyone on our team and we'll help you uh, get in touch with Richard. And uh, thank you for your time here today on this interview. Thanks, Richard. Stay safe. Take care. You too.